Hello, I'm Mary Spicer, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Behind Fashion. The fashion industry, like so many industries, is in distress. People around the world have joined together to demand the social justice and racial equality that we all deserve, and no industry is exempt, and the hard work continues. I created this series so that we could help support one another as we move forward in this new world in a thoughtful and collaborative manner. Over the next few weeks, I will introduce you to amazing people behind the scenes of fashion. Fashion show producers, venue managers, hair and makeup artists, and so many more. During the interview, I will receive your questions that you send in for our uh, interviewee. And um, if I can get to them, I will. If not, don't worry. I will certainly um, respond to them at a later time, as well as if you're viewing this program live or on my YouTube channel at a later date, just email me your questions, mary at jamproductionsco.com. And our guest today will respond to you in a timely manner. With a virus that discourages the interaction of people and the touching of clothing, what does the future hold for the fashion industry and how are our roles changing? I look forward, forward to collaborating and sharing our ideas and journeys as we move forward together. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce you all to Mr. Martin Casella. Martin Casella is a playwright and a screenwriter. His past plays have included Black Tom Island, premiere stages 2018, The Report 2015 Fringe NYC, London 2017, The Irish Curse Off-Broadway, London, LA, Edinburgh, Dublin, Prague, Bratislava, Chicago, Rio, and Colombo, Sri Lanka. Published by Samuel French, Paper Moon, Film and TV include One Night Stand, directed by Talia Shire, Behind the Lens for CBS, staff writer on the ABC daytime drama One Life to Live. He also wrote and developed screenplays for Steven Spielberg, Kerry Washington, Anthony Edwards, Whoopi Goldberg, Dan Petrie Jr., John Milius, John Badham, Disney, Universal, Warner Brothers, Paulist Productions, CBS, and HBO. All latest film projects and theater projects are on hold, but for the theater projects. Mary Modern, a musical adaptation of Camille Andagelis's novel with composer-lyricist Keith Gordon. Miss Maud, about the 1950s meeting between South Carolina midwife Maud Callan and Life Magazine photojournalist Eugene Smith. Club Dangerous, a jazz musical, with the songwriting team from Play It Cool, directions for restoring the apparently dead, and Popstar, a new musical, with Play It Cool director Sharon Rosen and starring Sidney James Harcourt from Hamilton. His awards include Fringe New York 2015 Overall Excellence Award for Playwriting, The Report, and 2005 for The Irish Curse. New York Outer Critics Circle nomination, Best New Off-Broadway Musical, Play It Cool. GLAAD nominations for Outstanding New LA Play, The Irish Curse, 
and Best New Off-Broadway Musical, Play It Cool. Dramalogue and LA Weekly Outstanding Play Awards for Mates. Martin is a graduate and taught playwriting at the California Institute of the Arts. He taught for eight years at the Harvey Milk High School in New York's East Village, and it's the only public high school in the US which is a haven for LBGTQ students from around the country. He is a member of WGA, SAG-AFTRA, Actors' Equity, and the Dramatists Guild. Martin has worked as a stage manager for fashion events in New York and the US since 1996. Welcome, Marty, and thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Mary. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you? I just can't believe that we have the opportunity to talk to you. I mean, it truly is amazing, everything that you've done. And so I don't know if you got your cup, but I would like to cheers you. On, yes. I, I just, <laughs> I had to list everything that you did because that is amazing. Well, thank you. Mm. A, fr a friend uh, told me the other day after I posted some information about something and she said, what, 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 that's a life, wow. And it is, I've been, I've been very, very lucky to be able to do so many different things. Well, and I, I, it is luck and it's talent. And so, um, and I have witnessed that talent and, um, but be, before we go too far into this, I do just want to take a moment. Um, you and I had spoken a while ago and um, I just want to check in with you and your family. Everybody's fine, but when we spoke a while ago, your nephew had contracted COVID-19. How is everybody doing? How is he doing now? He's really well. Uh, my nephew is a, a doctor in, in, at UCLA Hospital here in Los Angeles, and he contracted it. Um, and it was very, very scary. And thank you for asking about that. Um, he's really well. It, he was very, very sick for almost a month. And um, at one point did have to go into the hospital. Um, but wow. yeah, and, and was, he, was he intubated or just he wasn't intubated? No, uh, they, when they brought him in, he was having trouble breathing. And, um, there was a time period when it looked like they were going to have to, but he, they basically hit him with everything they had to get better. And he was, he did in a, in an incredible amount of time. He, he wasn't better, but he was back to the point where he was functioning and could breathe and be on his own again. Um, and then about two weeks after that, things turned around and he, and he was able to actually, as he said, get up out of bed and shave and take a shower. Um, he's, he's doing great things. He, he's not a big guy that goes on social media a lot, but he is actually speaking out very much now about there still are people who don't believe that the, the pandemic is real they don't believe that it's really happening and they he still runs into people who think it's a hoax and it's fake and wow. he spent a lot of time lately on social media trying to tell his own story and make sure people understand that it is a real thing it affected my entire family my entire family uh, saw him a couple days before he got sick and this was way back in March when things seemed very far away there was that one day where everything just sort of turned around and that's right exactly the time when he got sick. And my whole family had to be in quarantine, including my, you know, 85 year old father and um, many of us. So he's all better now. And he went back to work a few weeks ago. 
and he's back. He's a trauma surgeon, so uh, he's back doing that at UCLA. So. Well, and thank goodness he's back. We need all those people helping us. We absolutely do, <laughs> and um, I found out I found out a little secret. Um, he was extremely well taken care of when he went to the hospital, and for that one day, and they checked on him every day. They did conference calls with him every single day. He was sick at home because he said they said you know you have to come back because you're saving people's lives here doing what you do and we have to get you better because one person as you and i have discussed many times before one person can change a lot of lives for a lot of people yes. you know? so and he's he's doing really well now and one of the first things he did when he went back to work was he uh had to do emergency surgery on a five-month-old so, and saved her. So we're all yeah. very proud of him. So. Well, and he was meant to be there. And I'm just so glad. And everybody's fine. Nobody else. Um, fine. Nobody else got sick. Um, some mirac it was miraculous, actually, yeah. that nobody else got, got sick. But everybody's well and functioning. And our family's very serious about all this. We stay at home. We stay at home as much as we can. Everybody wears masks. Not gloves so much anymore, but we did in the beginning. Everybody, my entire family follows all of the strict, you know, CDC rules. And um, it's- We do too. And I have a nice collection of gloves, so I will keep wearing them. Yeah, I think we all have gloves and mask collections that will probably, you know, someday in the future be saved for future <laughs> generations, so. Absolutely, there, there are new go-tos in fashion. Now you're in California right now. You, you were in New York for a long time, but you grew up in California. Your family is- what you would call a, a Hollywood family. Your dad is in the business, your stepmom, your, who, who all is in the business? Well, and what uh, uh, right now, my dad, my dad and my uncle are both retired now, but they were both in the film industry. My dad and both of them were transportation coordinators, which was, they made sure all the trucks moved around. And then my dad owned a big business that were trucks. My stepmother worked at Paramount as a travel agent. And then she had her own travel agency that basically worked exclusively with the studios and the big talent agencies. My sister right now works for a, uh, let's just say a group of very wealthy, well-known gentlemen. I don't want to be a name dropper. So, um, and she does all you of be a name dropper. <laughs> uh, my sister, my other sister and her boyfriend are both teamsters. And my brother was a film director, a stage director and, and a casting director. And, I will drop some names now because I'm very proud of my brother. Um, oh. My brother was the casting director for the new Mickey Mouse Club in the early 1990s. And he basically discovered um, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Carrie Russell, Ryan Gosling, and uh, Justin Timberlake. So oh, they were what? Did you yeah. say Justin Timberlake? I did say Justin Timberlake. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love him. Yeah. We love all of them, and um, my brother found all of them during the search for the Disney, uh, the the new Mickey Mouse Club. And, that's uh, amazing. That's, that's amazing. But now you have also been with some very important people that we did not mention this opening. Yeah. Um, your first work was uh, as an assistant to Mr. Spielberg yes. in Raiders yes. of the Lost Ark, and this is one of my favorite things. So I printed it out. Oh, I took a picture of the screen. Assistant to Mr. Spielberg. Yes, that was, uh, that, I was. I worked. Uh, I, I started the job after college, working for my dad on a film that uh, Mr. Spielberg was directing. And after a while, our, since our offices 
were next to each other. I got mm -hmm. to know him and then he requested a work for me to work with him on a, we, we worked out, there were a lot of, there was a lot of miniature work. It was back before CGI. So a lot of the special effects were done on big giant sound stages with huge miniatures. And I worked with him for three months as obviously assistant there. And then he asked me to work with him on Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I spent almost a year working as his assistant on that. And in between all that, when we took a little break, I got to be the assistant to uh, Robert Zemeckis on a wonderful cult film called Used Cars with Kurt Russell. So I spent three months following, um, working with Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale uh, on their film. So, yeah. And as I, as I heard, um, Mr. Spielberg was very happy with you. Now you left everyone to be an actor, but he was very happy with you. Um, and kind of, he asked you to come to a, a filming and then surprised you with an announcement. What did he say? Yeah. When I quit working for him, um, I went back to being an actor and a writer, which is what I had always wanted to do. That's what I'd studied in school, but I sort of hit a wall and got tired of it. And, and about three months after I left, I had worked on pre-production for both E.T. and Poltergeist and, and, and a movie called Always and a number of other things. And I got a call one day from a casting director who said, oh, Stephen wants you to come in and read for a role in Poltergeist. We we're having trouble casting a role of a, one of the ghost hunters. And so I went in and did that and I auditioned and I didn't hear anything. As, as actors always and often do. And then one day I got a phone call from Steven's office um, saying, we're gonna have the very first screening of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I had spent a year on. And he said, um, Steven would like it if you were there. And I showed up and I got there a little early and um, Steven drove up at a couple of minutes later and I said, where is everybody? And he said, oh, they're, they're all gonna be here. I, he said, I asked that you come early because I wanted to be the one to tell you that we we're casting you in Poltergeist. Uh, it was, and, it, and here you are. Here I am. <laughs> with, a lot, with a lot more hair and uh, big giant early 1980s glasses. Wow, yeah. is that fantastic? Look at that tie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and who you played though, which I also love. Yes, I had. Big, yes, I, I played a character named myself because they had to change my name. And most of the movie, you only hear me referred to as Dr. Ryan. And near the end of the movie, the actress Beatrice Strait has a scene where she says, they ask about my character. So, I don't die or anything, but let's just say some really gross, gross things happen to me. Um, a lot of people have to have had seen this movie, and you're the one who tears your I face. Tear my face off in a very big, dramatic, scary scene. So, uh, and, but then it all comes back. It turns out it's just a dream. And later on, toward the end of the movie, there's a line, and when they were shooting it, nobody had thought about this, and they got to the scene. I, I just went that day to visit. I, I'd finished all my work already, and. Beatrice Strait, who plays my boss in the movie, has a line and she said, well, what am I supposed to say? We, we can't say Dr. Ryan, that won't make any sense. And so, there's, and so the, uh, the director, Toby Hooper yelled out, oh, just, just use Marty's real name, that's fine. Just call, he, that's what it is. So now in the credits, I'm listed as Marty. She said, she has a line that a lot of my friends teased me that they're gonna put on, they're gonna put on my tombstone, which is uh, Marty won't be coming back. Because the ghost, the ghost scares me, and I don't. I'm too afraid to come back. So. Marty won't be coming Marty back. Won't be coming back. Yeah. I love that, and I did love that scene in the movie, and um, just so amazing. Now your career was, you were doing a lot of things. Yep. What made you decide to go to New York? Well, uh, a, a play that I'd worked on with my brother, who's a director, a theater director. We had worked for several years 
on a musical version of the famous old Peter Bogdanovich, Ryan O'Neill, Tatum O'Neill movie, Paper Moon. And so that looked like uh, it was it had big, a big producer. We had all the money. We had this amazing cast, um, Gregory Harrison, Christine Ebersol. Um, and I, I went to New York to do it. And some things happened as happened with creative projects, as we all know. And um, we did it out of town and then some things happened and there were creative differences and it ended up not going forward. But I decided to stay in New York because of that, because at that point I was asked to work on another musical. Someone had seen my work when the show was out of town and uh, it was a musical that was being prepped to be done. And, and somebody called and said, well, we love your work. We want to hire you to um, be the, be the book writer. So, and I, so I stayed and I got, and that's uh, a friend of mine was working, doing side work to make a little money on the side, working as an, a, a production in production in fashion shows at fashion week. And so I volunteered and said, I would love to do that. And I got a little training. And so for the past 23, 24 years, I've been working with the same team. And uh, the t often the team changes. I am now the, except for my boss, as whom you know, and uh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm that last person standing from the group that started in the 1990s. And um, it's great. And I've got to travel all over the United States doing fashion events and fashion shows. Um, now, and, and I know that you and I have spoken before about how theater, television, film, just worldwide, um, it, everybody's out of work. Um, yeah. And then I said, why can't you just set up like a camera and film a live Broadway show and everybody just, they're in quarantine and they, they come and perform. Um, can they just do that on Broadway to have these shows performing and then I pay to be on that show, like watching it on Zoom or something right. like that? It, it, it can't really happen there. We can all watch right now theaters and ballet and orchestras and symphonies and dance companies all over the world have opened up their files, uh, you know, their, their libraries. So we can, any given day, you can go on the Royal Shakespeare Company. I just watched a ballet from Japan the other day. Um, you can do that. Sometimes you have to pay, most of the time you don't. The problem with shooting live things is that there are unions that control all of that, not just the actors' unions, but the stage hands, the directors, the, the dramatist guild. And it would be extremely expensive to be able to do that. Plus, live theater itself depends on the audience reaction. And mm -hmm. then you get into a whole area with you can film some things, and if you do them a certain way, it's under the stage unions. But if you film things another way, then it becomes under the auspices of SAG-AFRA for the actors. And, and it's very, very difficult to, to film live things sometimes. Um, there are, we have plenty of things that were, cameras were plunked down and you can watch Broadway shows. Um, there's whole channels and to places you can go and buy DVDs and watch them. But doing things that are live while they're going on, um, you can't really do that now during the pandemic because you'd have to do testing for everybody. You'd have to, it's, it's very difficult. There is one theater company in New Hampshire, you and I have talked about that, that they put everybody, they put their entire company that they knew were gonna be working with them for five months. They put everybody in quarantine. They have two stage managers who use, apparently use iPads to film performances. 
and everybody has to live in a space. They're not allowed to go outside. They're not allowed to interact with other people. And that theater company uh, broadcasts those things three or four, five times a week. You pay 15, 20, $35, and then 10 or 15 people at a time can tune in and watch that. So a version of that is taking place, but on a big level of Broadway level, that would be very, very difficult. Um, it is. And I know that they've talked about it um, with sports and many of the sports people like, I'm about to have a child. I'm not going on lockdown and missing the birth of my well, child. There is life that's happening. There is. So. Like baseball is technically, I believe, going to come back around the July 4th. It's great American, you know, all-American sport, 4th of July. But they're going to be playing in empty spaces. Everybody's going to get tested all the time. They have to stay in quarantine. And there are really famous, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but um, there's a very, very well-known baseball player who basically said, no, I have a baby at home. I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing this. Right. I'm right. just not doing it. It's not, it's not worth it. So. No, that's, that's yeah. We, um, don't know, we don't know when theater's going to come back. We, we just don't yeah. know. I mean, what are they going to put spit guards up? Actors spit a lot. I, you've seen everybody. No, never go in the first three rows. I don't know if anybody knows yeah. this, but I never do the first no, three rows. No, never do the first three. You will invariably be spit on, and musicals are completely out of the question, <laughs> you know, now, because that's where you, uh, actors, singers spit. They, they just do. And yeah. uh, so, yeah, there's, it's very difficult. And film is going to be coming back. Uh, we've all heard about Tyler Perry down in Georgia. He's going to start making movies again and everybody will be quarantined and no one will be allowed to leave, including the entire cast, the crew. He's got, he's got a giant studio where they actually can put people up in hotel rooms. And my sister's yeah. told that they're going to go back to work, uh, but it's taking a lot of negotiations between the film companies, the unions and the city like the city of Los Angeles. All of that has to be worked out because as we've seen in lots of different cases, and I don't, I don't wanna get political about it, but people's lives aren't worth losing so that people can watch a movie. Right. You know, there's plenty to watch. There's over a hundred years worth of film and television you know, and theater that's on film that we can watch. And they, they just can't risk you know, and you know Marty, that's a great idea. Why don't I get from you yeah. like your top 10 or 20 movies and we'll, we'll put it out on Facebook and say, if you'd like to watch something, here are some okay. great recommendations. And I can, and would also be really happy, a buddy of mine in New York sends out a list every week that's of all the amazing places that you can go and for free watch. I mean, you can go every week, the Royal Shakespeare Company and the National Theater in London both take one of their shows and um they show it live you can watch it i there's a spectacular version of frankenstein that was filmed live in front of an audience with benedict cumberdack cumberbatch and johnny lee miller it's it's oh. and they showed that for a week for free and so there's a lot well, to I, I would love to be able to share those um let's talk after yeah, this we can talk afterwards and i can I'll come up with a list for you. Yeah. And absolutely. at this point, I'm pretty sure my viewers on my fashion show are wondering why I have a screenwriter playwright on a fashion program. So can you explain um, why most people with the New York Fashion Week um, team that you're on have backgrounds in theater and film industries? Yes, absolutely. My boss very much believes in she 
usually uses people who exclusively who have theater backgrounds. We have a guy who's a Broadway choreographer on our team. We, we have a Broadway stage manager. We have two playwrights that have worked um, off Broadway and in regional theaters. Because fashion shows are theater. They are, you have to rehearse them. Sometimes you don't have a lot of time to rehearse, not in the United States. The ones they do in Europe, they often rehearse for three days or a week in advance with gigantic sets and, and you know, 15 cameras. And we are under a very tight schedule when we're doing a fashion show, even something on the level uh, for, for the last 10 or 12 years, uh, I used to work the finale of Project Runway. Uh, and that was a huge undertaking. You can't pull people who don't have experience, who don't have experience in film or television because now we all know fashion shows are all filmed because all the designers show those videos of the whole show and the finale in their showrooms. They show them in their stores around the world. And you have to have people who have experience. So if something goes wrong, we're used to live theater. Things go wrong in live theater all the time. I've done, a, I've done fashion shows where a model was put together with a double stick tape on a dress and she walked down the runway and the dress just fell off on the runway and she stood there and we all jumped into action and kept the show going. We, we did a fashion show, you may have been at this one, where someone in the audience at Fashion Week had a heart attack and died. It was a woman who was a huge fashion lover and her family said, well, if she was gonna die, we couldn't think of a better place. And we were all backstage going, what the heck do we do? And we all knew, the, our team knew because we've had things like that happen in theater. And rehearsals are really well run. It's taken us years to, to finesse working. How do we do a rehearsal with 25 models who are all in hair, all in makeup, doing costume fittings while sets are being built around them and our boss is rehearsing the lighting cues and the sound cues and we only have two and a half, maybe yeah. at the most three hours to get a rehearsal done, not only with 20 models, but with the hair and makeup team at the end of the runway, with all of the tech people in the booth doing the rehearsals, calling cues. They've the, got to the, check the lights, the makeup, and you can't do the that. Mo the actual model rehearsal is not three hours, it is. The model rehearsal, at the very most, you'll get 20 minutes. And 20 minutes, yeah old time shows or the big fancy shows in Europe, we basically, the models go to the end of the runway and they turn and they come back. But we still do shows where they'll send a, what we call a chevron, three models will walk down the runway, one in the lead, and then they'll change. And sometimes we'll do staging for finales. We'll do, you know, alternate entrances from either side. And models that we're working with, they're doing a show before us and often a show after us. Sometimes we don't get those models until literally 20 minutes before they're supposed to go on stage. And we've gotta be calm, we have to be cool, we have to go makeup team, hair and team, double time them, triple time them. Let's make sure if she has a fitting, we do that. You know, we have to do this while she's in line. We've had models made up while they're in line, seconds away from going on stage. And you have to be cool and calm. And, that's and that says a lot about the models too, because I have done even swimwear shows where I, I literally was just up in there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Walked out like nothing happened. No, everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. I mean, we have to be able to have been dealing with a model 
I'm, I'm, in the, I'm the guy who stands in the portal. The portal, for anybody who doesn't know, is the doorway the models walk out of onto the runway. And I'm a foot from there with a headset on, listening to my boss give me cues. And I'm watching everything that's going on backstage. And you know, we'll have anything from uh, an earring will fall off, a dress will tear. Um, we've had shows where they'll throw a pair of shoes on that have eyes and hooks. And we're like, it's dark. No one can see. I have five people trying to lace up someone's boots in the dark and with a with somebody holding me off and holding my the, the flashlight on my iphone and and i've got to be letting my boss know uh this is what's going on uh you're gonna have to slow the show down and and in the theater you inherently set, develop a sense of that you know we all know for anybody who does fashion shows or any kind of theater that the universal symbol for stretch someone's not ready is and we have to be able to be calm. It took me five years of working my way from the back of the line, which is literally pulling models from their dresser and putting them in line to being up near the front of the line, feeding people to the person who's sending. And then finally, when the person who's sending retired, uh, I got to take her job. And uh, it's sort of like seniority system. And we, I have, well, and you need to know though, you need to know all those parts. Like so many I need, and I need, I need to know because my boss is in my head asking me, how many models do you have? And most of the time we have something for all of you who love fashion. It's called a rotation. It's the line. It's the way the models. And when you work with a really good designer, a good stylist and a good team, that's all been arranged so that there's a certain distance. But sometimes you'll do a show where they go, no, I want that. I want Helga, I want Tatiana to be wearing dress number five and dress number nine. And we all look at one another and go, could be impossible. Depends on what the clothes are. If it's a simple on and off, we can do that. But you have to remember, she's number five. She goes out. Then number six and number seven are probably out there as well. So she has enough time to step off. They take her clothes off of her, put on a dress or put on a top. You They'll change the dress with a zipper. She but... literally be walked to me. And as Ju Judy says, number nine, go. I will sort of gently push her out onto the runway. Often sometimes while her dress is being zipped up in the back or a hair yeah. guy going fruit, fruit, fruit and fixing something on her hair. So well, you have yeah. to have I'm sorry, we're running out of time and well, I need you to come back already, but I, we have to talk about this and that's why I'm, I'm stopping our conversation. Okay, stop me. Yeah, I wanted to talk about fashion, so. You have a Broadway musical called Popstar that is on hold and I asked what your role was in okay. that. You said librettist. Yes. Is that correct? A librettist and that's, I, that's new, my new favorite word. Can you tell me a, what a librettist is and a little bit about the musical pop star. Yeah, there's a term libretto. I, I think it comes from opera, it's Italian, and it means the actual part where they're not singing. And that's the story and the dialogue. And so that evolved in America to be, I'm the librettist. I wrote the libretto and that also is called the book. If it's a musical, that's the book for a musical. And I. I make sure how it's shaped, what the structure is. I walked, work with the writers where the songs go uh, and I write the dialogue and I shape the story so that the whole story gets told. And that's what someone who writes the libretto does. So, okay. They're also and, called and, 
You also called the book writer, but librettist sounds cool. I think librettist is so much better, and I am absolutely keeping that word. Great word. <laughs> uh, now, uh, uh, I can't wait to see it. A couple weeks ago, you shared a video, and mm -hmm. everyone was singing. Um, yeah. They were singing, I think it's the final song? It's the, it's the title song of the show, Popstar. It's a very, just very quickly, it's about a manager who is down on his luck, a pop talent search guy. He needs to find the next big thing in pop music to keep his career, his own career going. And he finds a 16-year-old boy in Idaho that he decides to turn into a, into a famous pop star. And the road is very rocky for him getting there. But in the end, he gets his wish, but let's just say not in the way he expects to get it, which is what my writing teacher always told me, give the audience what they want, just not the way they expect it. And in the very last scene of the show, on the night of the Grammys, after he spent a year find, trying to find a pop star, he does in a way, but not how he expects. And so we hear the title number, which takes place at the Grammy Awards. And it involves not only the new pop star that's been created, but five other hugely famous pop star characters that we've met along the way. And it, in, and it's, it includes the entire company at the very end of the show. And it's very catchy. It's very, you, I remember you said how much you liked it and the music's terrific. And our, our songwriters are, I'm just gonna say their names because they're amazing people, Jay Levin and Sophie Dupin. And uh, they're American real, they write pop stars uh, songs for real. And um, I imagine that song is fantastic. And you have the actor from um, from Hamilton. Hamilton yes, our wow. wonderful, wonderful lead, Sydney. Um, yeah, Sydney Harcourt. And we were so lucky to get him. That was not how that who who Sydney is is not how the character was played before. And we Sydney came in, and somebody said, "Oh, he's interested in doing it," and it changed everything for our show it took it to a completely different we'd had wonderful guys doing that role in the past but sydney brought it somewhere else and the fact that he came from hamilton and he was one of the original cast members you will be able to see him i'll plug it very quickly uh on uh disney plus is actually showing they filmed hamilton early in the run with the entire cast and that they're going to make that available and so you'll be able to see Sydney. He plays one of the big roles in the show. Oh, that's going to be amazing. Now, when I watched the video, it said that I can make a donation to Broadway Cares. Can you right. tell me a little bit about Broadway Cares? Broadway Cares is an amazing group that's been around for a very long time, 35 years or more. Uh, it was started in New York on Broadway in the 1980s to help the Broadway community was decimated by AIDS in the 1980s and the early 90s. So a bunch of people got together and they created this group. They do fundraising events, several of them every year. They have raised hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in the last 35 years for people not only living with AIDS, but that expanded and helping actors and anybody who works in the theater um, can go to them and get grants. They can get money and they also give money to terrible tragedies. They've given lots of money to help and they did a special fundraiser to help because nobody can act except those 10 actors in New Hampshire. Um, everybody else can't work, nobody. People are losing their health insurance. They can't feed their families. They can't pay their rent. And so Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, along with the Actors Fund is one of those organizations that is helping actors and everyone in the theater get by. And, and so we did our, we did, we made a video of our entire cast from a, a version we did last fall. And, and we, 
we're asking people to give donations to Broadway Cares, which is, I believe, broadwaycares.org. Broadwaycares.org. And I mean, that's, that's honestly so amazing. And if people can uh, give to that, it truly is a wonderful um, group to work with. Um, I'm going to share the video, that video of everyone singing Please. on my Facebook following this show. It'll be there. I think there's already a connection on my YouTube channel and I'll put up the information once again. <laughs> I, I had a lot of questions for you and we will get to none of them. We are over the time and you absolutely have to come back. You're just amazing. And there's always so much more to talk about. Well, next time I, I will happy to come back and we can talk about like crazy fashion shows that we've done and Oh, Amazing, boy. wonderful things that have happened and great surprises, you know, that, that happen when you do fashion work. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really amazing. It is very much theater, if, you know, and, and it's a, it is a very serious thing. Yeah. As enjoyable it is because we're working with artists. We are, we are. Uh, I, it took me a long time and I came across that, I finally understand that now. Uh, clothing design is, is an art. It's one of the great arts. It's why the Metropolitan Museum of Art has a whole department that's about design and fashion and clothing. And yeah, and, and I will leave you with one thought quickly. The thing, the fashion show that they did at the Met that made me realize that fashion is an art was after Alexander McQueen uh, tragically committed suicide. They had an amazing show about him and I saw it three times. And that was when I finally went, wow, this is, and by that point I'd been working in fashion for over 15 years. And I thought, this is an art, this is an art form. And yeah. it is. Part of it is telling the story and we're able to help the designers explain the story of the clothing, how it got there, how it evolved and who the person is that's wearing it. Yeah, and when I started, I was like, what do you mean we're telling a story? It's a bunch of dresses or it's a bunch of, coats or jackets or shoes and then after a while you you begin to see yeah it is a story it yeah, is it really is well thank yeah. you so much again and i definitely need you to come back on and update us on everything that's happening and so much love to you and yours okay thanks mary take care thank bye. you bye marty and thank you all for attending this week's behind fashion series with guest martin casella martin's website is www.martincasella.com Weebly.com. And you can follow him on Facebook, Martin Casella, Instagram, M. Casella Writer, and Twitter, at M. Casella Writer. Please visit BroadwayCares.org to help support the theater industry during the pandemic. The video from Popstar will be shared on my Facebook, as I mentioned, and you can find it on my YouTube channel. The, web star, the website for the musical Popstar is www.popstarmusical.com. Next week, I'll be joined by Patrick Mueller, the founder and director of Control Group Productions. Uh, see you next week, Wednesday, June 17th, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon on the East Coast, 9 a.m. on the West Coast, and 5 p.m. British Summertime. All the best to you and yours.